Not one amen, huh? That's God's word for you. It's one of my favorite readings ever. <laughs> so, in this way, I've, I've been studying the wisdom of Proverbs, as many of you have been reading through the Proverbs and rereading them and focusing on them, and I'm going to give you God's wisdom for marriage from Proverbs. I've summed it up for you. So if you take notes, you can write this down, you can quote me, you can tweet it. It's, it's really, it's very straightforward. Here it is. God's wisdom for marriage. A good marriage is really, really good. And a bad marriage is really, really bad. That's it. That's God's wisdom for marriage. A really, really good marriage. Just being intoxicated with the love of your spouse. Being satisfied uh, by your wife's body and the just uh, enjoying one another and then like sitting under a drip drip leaky roof in a storm maybe you're lying in bed and the drip is kind of in the face is a marriage that is quarrelsome um, so if you've been reading Proverbs you're not surprised by this kind of language this is very frank language it's very direct language this is God's everyday wisdom. This is, uh, I love that God's word doesn't pull any punches when it comes to this kind of thing. It's pretty straight up. And we have been in this series laying the foundation of wisdom. What is wisdom and how do I get it? How do I walk a lifestyle of wisdom? And now in the next weeks to come, we're going to be focusing on specific areas of life where God's wisdom plays out, where God's wisdom Bears, can bear fruit in relationships. And specifically this week, we are looking at marriage. So here's, the, here's, here's where we're at today. You're either here today and you're in a good marriage. And you know that a good marriage is really good, that it's foundational to your life. and that. But you know, if that's you, you likely know, therefore, that it takes, a good marriage takes effort and that you have to invest in it and that you want it to thrive and continue to uh, invest in your marriage and protect it. So God's wisdom, you are here and you are excited to hear about God's wisdom for your marriage so that it might grow and flourish. On the other hand, you might be here and you are in a, a bad or broken marriage and you know the pain of the struggle and talk, you know we can laugh about the drippy roof, but you understand that it is uh, just every day can be very difficult. My hope for you today, if that's your situation, is that you might recapture God's plan for marriage, that you might recapture this morning God's vision for marriage and how good it can be, uh, but how hard it can be at the same time. Or you're here and you're just not sure. Like, I'm not sure which category I'm in. And if, if, you're, kind of, if you're in a real relationship, you probably enjoy aspects of both, seeing the beauty of marriage and also the struggle. Now, uh, the other group of people who would be here are in neither of those types of marriage because you are single. For whatever reason, you have uh, you are not married or you are no longer married. And I want to say to you that singleness is good. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was a single man, fully human, fully single. And by his life and his ministry, affirmed singleness. The Apostle Paul, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he affirms singleness and the advantage, there's actually advantage in some respects to being 
single, especially uh, advantages for Christian ministry when you are single and distractions that you do not have when you are single. So singleness is, a, is not a bad thing. But this message is an important message about marriage for you as well because to understand marriage helps us to understand God's love for us because God's love for us is, is depicted and demonstrated as a, uh, the love of a groom for his bride that he loves. And the Bible itself starts with the wedding, with the first man and woman coming together and, and being fruitful and multiplying children. And at the very end of the Bible, the last image in the Bible is of a wedding feast, of a marriage, of of, of Jesus and his bride, the church, us. So this, to understand marriage well helps us to understand the Bible. It helps us to understand God's love for us. So this is an important message for you as well. The other, the other thing for, for those of you who are single, there's two views of marriage, or two extremes that you would want to avoid when thinking about marriage or becoming marriage. On one you're single on one end of the spectrum is I really want to be married and I really want to be married more than anything else in my life and you can overemphasize wanting to be married or being married and it can become an obsession and really an idol and a, a, a place of stumbling in your life on the other end of the spectrum is oh no either I've done that and it ain't happening or it doesn't work or I've seen it fail so many times and it's a failed institution it's archaic it's just not it doesn't represent how life really works so I dismiss it. So on one end is an over-desire to have it. On the other end of the spectrum is, an, is a dismissal of it. And I think in between those is a healthy view of singleness and of marriage. So this, my hope is that this will be helpful to you. Okay, three things. First point is a, a bad marriage is bad. Second point, a good marriage is good. And my third point is don't destroy your marriage. Let's pray. Father God, we know we've come here to this place. We're at very different places in terms of our, our own personal experience, both uh, how we view these things as we've seen them and lived them in our own lives, but also just what we've brought with us this morning. From the time we've woken up to the time we came here, a lot has transpired in marriages and families and in just in life. But every moment, Lord, you are with us. And as we look at your word, we know that you are with us and that your spirit desires to teach us. So we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open uh, to hear you this morning. We give this time to you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, first thing. Uh, a bad marriage is, is really, really bad. So in the book of Proverbs, as you read through it, there's a lot of warnings. And the warning is this, basically... Son, get it right. Marry the right person. And this is really for, uh, particularly for if you are single, if you are a parent of children and you are praying for your children and instilling God's wisdom to your children, instilling the wisdom that it's really important that you marry well. Because a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. I used that passage at a wedding once <laughs> because I, a former student of mine uh, uh, who grew to be a lovely young woman and got married 
and I was asked to do her wedding, and, and she and I had inter interacted enough times over the years, from the time she was an uh, early high school student till today, she said, JP, I, I really want you to do this wedding, but I don't want you to be too sentimental. Because I sometimes get sentimental, especially with former students, and they're growing up, they're getting married, and it makes me, they get a little nostalgic, I feel old, but I just, you know, she's like, please don't lay it on too thick. I said, look, and I'm standing up there with her and her, her husband, her, everything was lovely. I said, this is the least sentimental verse about marriage that I could find. So I'm fulfilling your desire. And it got some chuckles. She, um, she, she got it. But somebody came up to me at the reception at this wedding and said, hey, I, I don't like that verse. I don't like, the Bible talks about how terrible a quarrelsome wife is. What about a quarrelsome husband? And I said, oh, yeah. Same thing. A drippy roof, like you're like trying to grasp oil in your fist, and just it's the same thing. This is a book of wisdom that was written to a young man by a father trying to instill wisdom. It's, it was written to a young male audience, not to a young female audience. It was. It certainly would include. So I, this is not, you know, we're not picking on women or men here. This is the truth of a of a bad and quarrelsome marriage. So the warning here, over and over, is to just. Be careful and marry well. Um, other uh, Proverbs 19.9, better to live on the corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife or husband. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Basically, anything is better. Uh, Proverbs 15.17, better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Um, anybody who's struggled in marriage knows it's tough to look at a. This is the words of Proverbs. I'm just gonna. It's tough to look at a juicy steak that you have no appetite for. It's like if there's no love, I'd rather eat the little, the little portion of vegetables than the, you know, get the whole juicy steak without. Love. Um, it's important to marry well. There's a, a, book, a man named Dr. Neil Clark. He wrote a book called Finding the Love of Your Life. It's sort of the recipe for finding, you know, your, the best mate you could find. And the whole first chapter is about avoiding the seven most prevalent uh, causes, this is his words, of faulty mate selection. The seven most prevalent causes of faulty mate selection. Here you go. You don't need to write these down. These are, this is just, okay. Going too fast, like just being too quick, hastily marrying someone. Uh, number two, not growing up yourself before you marry someone else. So you bring your immaturity to the union. Number three, being too eager to become married. You just want to become married so bad that you just, you know, you end up compromising who you choose for your spouse for the sake of just becoming married. Uh, number four is marrying because of other people's pressures, like your family. Like, when are you gonna get married? Uh, number five is the not knowing each other well enough. So not having been through any tough things together can be a recipe for faulty mate selection. Number six, uh, making assumptions about how things are gonna be without actually talking about them. That's more of a communication issue. And number seven is unresolved brokenness. This is being blind to past brokenness and 
somebody, com not me originally, but somebody commenting on this made kind of a crass illustration to say, look, it's not that you wouldn't buy a boat that had had problems or had been in an accident before. You just want to know what those problems were. You want to know what kind of repairs have been done and haven't been done, just so you're going into it wide open, but you still, you still buy the boat. That's, that's a kind of a crass illustration, but that's the point is, you want to have a sense in a relationship, people have broken and they have past hurts. You just want to know what they are. So let me give you this. Now that's, that's from Dr. Whoever. Let me give you God's wisdom. These are all from the book of Proverbs. What to look for when choosing a spouse. Again, if you're single or if you're a parent and you're praying for your children and their spouses, their future spouses. The first is this. Faith. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content. So fearing the Lord, putting our faith in the Lord, brings life contentment, satisfaction. So if you both have it, then you have a very strong starting point. And it just makes so much sense. If, if you fear the Lord, if, you, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, why you would become united to somebody who doesn't value that, who does not love the Lord or, or fear the Lord in any way. 2 Corinthians 6.14 you know, it talks about don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. Now, the context of that is not necessarily a marriage relationship. But if we think about marriage, that's the ultimate yoking, yoking, yoking together of two lives. Your relationship with God tells you who you are. It, it sets your definition of your own life and your priorities and your, uh, your heart. It gives your life meaning. And if you wake up every morning and fundamentally, I am who I am because God created me and Jesus has saved me and I live my life to glorify him and I live my life on mission for him. And you wake up next to somebody in the bed next to you as somebody who has some totally other framework for that. That's not a strong foundation for union. It's one thing if you like sushi and my spouse doesn't like sushi and I, you like line dancing. and I don't like line dancing. This is not what we're talking about, these little preferences. This is foundational core to who you are stuff. Um, it, the reason, so this is Proverbs says this, but it also, from experience, we see this. And we are meeting more and more young people who are growing up, and they haven't been taught God's wisdom. They didn't grow up going to church. They didn't grow up attending Sunday school. And they've never heard someone say, when you're looking for a spouse, find someone who loves Jesus like you do. They've just never heard it. Nor have they seen it modeled by their parents or, or anybody in their life. They just don't believe it works because they haven't seen it or heard it. So I just want to urge us as a church to, to just, to the youngest children, to remind them, hey, when you grow up, I want to, and I tell my children, I want to see you marry somebody who loves Jesus with all their heart. And I pray for you now my 10-year-old, you know, 9-year-old, I pray for you now that that would be the case in the future. So that's the, the faith factor. The second thing, what to look for is character. I don't have a specific Proverbs on this, but the Proverbs, just read the Proverbs. The upright, those with integrity, are on straight paths, and those who are deceitful or lazy or people who are not of high character are on a path of destruction path of ruin and a path that leads other people to ruin. So Proverbs, again, in friendships, in other relationships, just with your neighbors, don't associate with people who are going to put you on a path to ruin. Why would you do that? 
So as you look, as you consider what is a good spouse, somebody of character, somebody who is upright and honest so that there's a compatibility there. You know, imagine if you have a couple and one is a truth teller and the other tends to lie. One is somebody who uh, thinks very highly of keeping commitments and the other doesn't care much for letting other people down. One person is committed to sexual purity, the other person is not. This is a disaster waiting to happen. So number, the number one thing is somebody who shares faith. Second thing, somebody of character. Third is somebody with some emotional health. Secrets and, and wounds and complications from the past. Again, you don't need to have the same background. You don't have to have the same pleasant upbringing. And it's not what I'm talking about. But you have to have a mutual understanding of what it means to be healthy uh, emotionally. Proverbs 22.3 is my proverb on this. Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keeps going and suffer for it. You've got to know the bumps and bruises ahead of you. So if you're going to partner with somebody who has a lot of bumps and bruises, to, just to be aware of them. Again, not to dismiss people, but to just know where, where have we come from so that as we look forward, it's, you know, you're driving down a country road and there's water in that there's a puddle. You don't know how deep that pothole is. You want to, you don't just, if it's shallow, you just skim right across it. If it's very deep, you're going to bottom the car up. You've got to know what the danger is. And relationally, you just got to know so that when you, if you hit it, it's going to take a little bit more to get out of it and to be ready for that. Okay. So there's the faith factor, the character factor, the emotional health factor, and then a communication factor. Finding somebody you can talk to, the talk factor. Again, talking and listening. Proverbs 20, verse 5 is my proverb for this. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. That in a relationship, the, there's stuff that is deep within us. And if you're going to partner with somebody, there's an ability in a relationship to draw one another out. And that's a very deep and valuable um, it's a very deep and valuable uh, a skill to have, to, to draw one another out and be able to communicate well. In, in years of marriage counseling, marriage courses in the church of, of leading these things, premarital counseling, uh, my wife and I have done premarital counseling together for other couples, and we, time and again, couples that can communicate well, and I'd put with that, argue well, resolve conflict well, if you can communicate and resolve conflict, the rest of the categories of stuff couples fight about, money, in-laws, sex, money, and sex, the, the things that you argue about, if you can communicate and argue well, you can work that stuff out. But if you can't communicate, then it's, it's, it just doesn't, it, it's, it's going to be tough. Good news, though, and good news for all this, if you feel like, you know what, I wish I had known this wisdom before I married my spouse. Because I would have picked somebody who had the faith, the character, the emotional health, and communication skills that you're recommending, Pastor. I would have done that. But I didn't. The good, particularly with communication, you can learn these things. You can grow in all these areas. You can, um, again, it's, 
you've started off, if you started out on a tough foot, these are things that can go. But I'm, again, I'm speaking to parents, I'm speaking to those of you who are single to really uh, take these things into consideration. So that's the first thing, because you want to avoid the, the dripping root. Second thing, a good marriage is really, really good, so the point here is work at it. It's worth it. God designed marriage so that there would be, um, so it would be good, so it would reflect his love, that it would be a foundation for raising children, be a foundation really for society. It's just, it's, and, and then there's this beautiful picture of beautiful, long, prolonged marriage. May your fountain be blessed. This is Proverbs 5, 18, 19. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always, and may you ever be intoxicated by her love. It's just a—it's almost an over-the-top image, but it's—it's it's worth, it. and it's a—it's a—it's remembering the wife of your youth, not even your wife now. It's this permanence, and this is the only kind of marriage the Bible knows. This is the only kind of marriage the Bible talks about, is a permanent loving union between a man and a woman. Even when the youthful excitement is gone, even when your youthful body is gone, uh, there can still be satisfaction with your spouse. And that is just a beautiful image. Marriage is the bedrock of family. But how can a family be strong if the bedrock collapses underneath it? It cannot be strong. When, when a marriage falls apart. A family cannot. Strengthening marriage will strengthen a family, but it takes work. Because solid doesn't mean easy. Solid doesn't mean happy all the time. Solid means solidly committed. Solid means solidly persevering. Solid means striving for similar goals. So how do I foster a that build that foundation of marriage. Let me give you, well, three things real quick. One is find joy somewhere. This image here is of just this intoxicating love and pleasure with one another, but there's some joy, any shred of commonality that you share with your spouse, to find it and to celebrate it. Go back to whatever attracted you in the first place. Why did you even date your spouse? What was it? Remember that. And is there any, what activities did you do when you were dating and when you were thinking about getting married? Find those things and, and tr try them again. Do it all again. And the number one, uh, and again, if you're looking for a good spouse and that strong commonality that you want to look for is faith, sharing a common faith, then one thing you can do to build intimacy and strengthen your marriage is to pray together. Pray with your spouse. There's been seasons in my marriage, uh, 16 years now, that we've prayed together regularly and sweetly, and it has developed such intimacy in our relationship. And there's been seasons when we haven't. And we've seen the difference. One problem we ran into, this is such a stupid pastor thing, and it took us a while to realize what had happened. We'd been teaching marriage courses and talking with other couples about how important it is to pray together. So we say, you know, uh, my wife and I, we carved out time in our week for just for prayer. We carved out a whole bunch of time. So Monday nights was prayer night, marriage prayer night. It was going to be the time when we do this wonderful thing together. And we would sit 
and we would, I would share my heart, she would share her heart, and I'd listen, and she'd listen back, and we'd go to these long prayers, and we would pray for all this time, and it was just really wonderful. The problem was, that was nearly impossible to sustain. It lasted a number of months, it was really beautiful, but if we didn't have half hour, an hour to do this, we just wouldn't do it because we created a standard of prayer in our marriage that was impossible to do in five minutes or three minutes. But sometimes we only had three minutes, five minutes because the reality of life was catching up with us quickly. And we were praying less and less and less, even though we had this beautiful thing. And of course we carved the time out, but every now and then, you know, it was something would get in the way. Life. So we found that when we pray shorter prayers and less elaborate prayers and less, you know, just keep it simple. And that is kind of one of these moments in marriage ministry. Hey, I can pray for you just briefly before you leave in the midst of chaos around us, just a quick prayer. And that goes a long way. And we can actually do that more frequently in more days of the week than just the one day and more time than just the one, you know. Just keep it simple. Pray. Okay, but find some, find some commonality and joy. That's the first thing. Prayer would be a, an example of that. Second thing, realize the 100% rule of marriage. So this is, where, uh, this is where when we get married and what we think marriage is, we, we might be a little bit off in marriage. We often are attracted to people. You ever hear opposites attract? A lot of times people who are very different than each other. Oh, that guy who wrote the book about finding the right partner, he said, don't marry somebody who's different than you. Find someone who's exactly like you and marry that person because you're more likely to stay married. That's his advice. That's not Proverbs, but it's interesting. But the reason why opposites sometimes become attracted to each other is because you admire stuff in your spouse that you lack. So, like, you're really good at X, and I'm terrible at X, and I'm really good at Y, and you're really terrible at Y. So, for example, I'm really uh, fun-loving and free, and I don't need a schedule. We'll just have fun all the time. You're like, I like schedules, and I like keeping organized. Like, wow, we'd be a great partnership. And it, you know, you think about it a little bit, like, wait a minute, that's, that's potentially a disaster waiting to happen. Because you go into it, and the more that I try to be who I am, and those things I admired in you, and you, you got to hold up your end, I'm, you know, it's a 50-50, I'm doing my half, you got to do your half, because otherwise this thing's going to fall apart. You forget the fact that this 50-50 to make a whole, that God has actually called us to bring wholeness in ourselves into the relationship, and wholeness here. And that those things about your spouse that you admire and you don't have, those are character things, those are wisdom things that you might need to develop in your own life. And the more you just do your own thing your own way, the more polarizing it can become, and it can become a very difficult uh, irritating, drippy, roof relationship. So here's the thing with, with, we all have our personalities, we all have our temperaments. We are not naturally wise. And if you read Proverbs, you might become to re, come to realize this. We are not wise in our own eyes. Again, the key proverb for us is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes. We are not naturally wise. We are naturally foolish. We are naturally sinful. So if you just go about your temperament in your way, and your spouse goes about their temperament in their way, that's not wisdom. Because there is no temperament that's kind of one size fits all. This works in every situation. My point is, we have to change and develop character in God's wisdom in our lives. And that 
forces us to get out of our, if I'm the crazy fun love and don't need a schedule, God's wisdom shows me that there are times when I need to be prudent and well-planned. And if I'm rigid, you know, rule follower, spouse person, then there, God's wisdom shows me that I need to be flexible because I can't plan my whole life. We're actually going to cover that um, in a future sermon. But the point is, you've got, we, we all need to grow in God's wisdom, not just lean on somebody else to carry the slack, because you're just going to end up becoming polarized and resentful. Do 100%, not just do. That's the point, the 100%. So find joy, 100% rule, and then marriage enrichment. I just recommend it. Um, anything that you can do to enrich your marriage. I got married. I was 23 years old. I loved my wife. The first year of marriage was fine. The second year was actually really hard. But the first year was, people say the first year is really hard. First year was nothing. That was great. Um, we, it was just a blast. My sister uh, had been married for a number of years. She bought us for our wedding. We're opening up all these gifts and all the people very generous to us. I open up a gift and inside the envelope is a gift certificate for a marriage enrichment retreat weekend. To remember. Thanks, Nikki, for marriage enrichment retreat thing. That was the worst gift ever. How could you give me marriage enrichment retreat? I'm not even barely married yet, and she thinks that I need this help. I don't need help. I get the great wife, and we're happy. And So I can't just not use it, because she's going to ask me, hey, did you go on the marriage enrichment retreat? Like, this is terrible. Not only was it helpful, but I myself have since then bought for a wedding marriage enrichment retreat for someone else <laughs> because it was so good. We went away, very low expectations. The content was excellent. Uh, Family, Family Life Ministry still runs these things all over the country. You can find them online and they come to New England and you, you go away for the weekend and you just sort of date your spouse again. You get really good feedback on marriage stuff. You work on hard stuff. But it's just good. There's other retreats and courses and alpha marriage courses in the past and other just to do these things. Prepare and enrich is a uh, it's an inventory that we use for premarital counseling and for marriage counseling. They have a resource called Couple Checkup. And it's I think it's $35. You go online, do a little inventory, your spouse does a little inventory. I've done it a couple times. It gives you a little snapshot of your relationship couple checkup from Prepare and Enrich. It's such a good resource. You don't need to talk to anyone else. You don't need to go to a counselor. You just, it spits you out the thing, and you got to actually talk to your spouse about it. But just take it. Why did we score this way? So you do have to at least talk to somebody. Um, or counseling. Or marriage counseling. I encourage you, whenever the signs of trouble start, get it quick. Um, there's no, there's no shame. We are built as a people who need other people to Help us to listen and communicate with each other, again, because of our own sin, because of our own folly. So marriage counseling, I highly recommend it. Often people, before they go to counseling, it's, it's way late. The counseling would have been helpful years ago, and things have built up, and they're on the verge of, of divorce, really. So the earlier, the better on any of those things. So that's it. Okay. I've made two points, and I'm out of time. <laughs> All right. Good marriage is really, really good, so marry well. Uh, no, no, bad marriage is really, really bad, so marry well, so you can avoid that. Good marriage is really, really good, so invest in it. And lastly, let me just 
um, don't destroy your marriage with adultery. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this in one minute. Proverbs 6.32, a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. No topic in Proverbs, no marriage topic in Proverbs gets more attention than adultery. If you've been reading through, you've seen that. There's this whole chapter, Proverbs 7, about the adulterous woman. There's a young man, so the father is speaking to the young man about the adulteress. And he's going near her house, like, don't go near her house. And then she comes out to meet him and seduce him, and, and she has crafty intent. Let me just read it. Out comes a woman to meet him dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. Proverbs 7, 13. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. I have totally fulfilled my vows, so I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. So she's appealing to this man's senses. And then she promises this exhilaration. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. And it, um, Tim Keller's book on marriage, he has a chapter on adultery and on sex. And he said, adultery sex is impossible to, to um, compete with because it's so thrilling. It's so exhilarating because you could get caught. You know, verse 19, my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. You know, we, no one's ever going to catch us. It's just this, this thing. But here's how it ends. Verse 21. With, with persuasive words she led him astray and she induced him with her smooth talk. And at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. The kill. It will destroy. Um, adultery is never okay, not even the bad marriage. But gospel grace to, to those who have experienced this. That there is healing and forgiveness that can be known. Um, the prayer here is not just that you wouldn't fall into temptation. God, please don't let me fall for the temptation of this alluring woman in my life. It's God, take that desire away from me completely. Take that thought, Lord, and may it be captive and obedient to Jesus Christ. Um, there's no, short, no shortcuts to a healthy marriage. And you might have to work harder than you ever dreamed. Um, but remember, Jesus is our first love. He's the, he is the loving groom who pursued us even to death and laid on his life, that we might be his beautiful bride. That's what he did on the cross. Every one of us was unfaithful to him. The Bible describes that as prostitution, and yet his grace is sufficient. Christ, Ephesians 5, 25, I'll finish with this. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus went all the way he gave his life. If you're married, you have to give in response. You give your life to him and you give your life sacrificially to your spouse. Single people, give yourselves fully to the Lord. Trust him with your whole heart. 
lean not on your, on your own understanding, making direct attacks.